Today, we're taking you to a place not far from Nevada, about seven hours northeast of Las Vegas, that only a few people have ever visited. Yet from the stories told by former owners, including Las Vegas billionaire Robert Bigelow, as well as generations of farmers and Native Americans, this might be one of the most interesting and mysterious places on the planet. It's called Skinwalker Ranch. Some people have heard about it, and like most, don't have time to really think about it. They think it's some fairy tale dreamt up by people wanting to make money in some way or another. Some have heard of it and think it's just a fun ghost story, another rabbit hole tale of UFOs that will never be explained. But according to a new documentary film, it's a place that our federal government has spent millions trying to understand. Las Vegas reporter George Knapp has written about Skinwalker Ranch in a best-selling book. He's also in the film about the ranch that opens next week. George Knapp, welcome back. Great to be here, Joe, as always. George, before we get into this, um, a bit later in the show, we would like listener comments and questions. Whether you think this isn't real or your curiosity and viewpoints are, are just something you'd like to be ex- you'd like to express, please give us a call. Our number is 702-258-3552. That's 702-258-3552. You can also leave us a message on Twitter at KNPR News or email us at son at knpr.org. So, George, I'm going to start this uh, with an interview from the movie that's done with a Dr. Colm Kelleher. He's a distinguished scientist who was a cancer researcher and has a Ph.D. in biochemistry. And I'm playing this to give listeners an idea of, well, just how weird some of the stories coming out of this 500-acre ranch in Utah are. Let's play that clip. It looked like a, a dull yellow light. I mean, it, it was innocuous. They turned on the night vision um, equipment they had. It looked like a three-dimensional tunnel that was just, you know, hovering over the ground. Slowly, this incident unfolded where they saw this, what looked like a humanoid creature crawling, literally elbowing his or her way through this, this tunnel, hovering four feet above the ground. I mean, that is not, I would say, military technology. That's some kind of a phenomena that has its smacks of interdimensional phenomena. That was just a taste of some of the stories coming out of this place. And George Knapp, at this point, some listeners might be rolling their eyes. Why aren't you? You are a Peabody Award-winning reporter. What's going on there in, in relation to our military that keeps you interested? Well, I've always been interested in the UFO subject, as uh, local TV viewers know, that we've been reporting on that since 1987. That's when I got hooked on the on the topic. And I thought at the time, you know, this UFO stuff touches the pulse of the public in a way that I had not previously understood. But as soon as we started reporting on it, the phone is ringing off the hook, people wanting to tell me stories about it. It continues to this day. Wherever I go, I'm in a grocery store, a restaurant, a bar, people stop and want to tell me their stories because a lot of them have stories. They have seen stuff, and they don't know what it is, and they're curious about the nature of, of the universe, our, uh, the nature of reality, our place in the food chain. So I got hooked on the subject of UFOs. The Uinta Basin, this northeastern corner of, uh, of Utah, 
has always been a hotbed of this activity since humans have first lived there. The first European explorers in the late 1700s that went across the, the Uinta Basin saw things in the sky. Uh, generations of Native Americans, Mormon settlers, uh, they've all seen this stuff. There have been other uh, books written about the place, uh, but nothing for a long time. And then in 1996, Bob Bigelow, uh, who has long supported UFO research, has probably spent more money uh, providing uh, support for UFO investigations than any person in the history of the world. He read a newspaper story, flew up to the ranch, thinking he was going to maybe talk the owners into allowing his personnel, uh, his on-the-ground troops, to investigate, then realized, after hearing these stories, it is much bigger than UFOs. It involves cattle mutilations, poltergeist activity, crop circles, uh, Bigfoot sightings. It's like a paranormal Disneyland. You pick a weird topic, and it was all happening in this spot. Can this be true? How does this make sense? What does it say about the nature of reality, and is it saying that all these things are somehow related? So he put a team of investigators on there, and they spent mul multiple years trying to figure it out. And they, they, they did what scientists are supposed to do. They went in and sort of crossed the list off of uh, prosaic explanations. Are there hallucinogenic plants that are causing, you know, people to see things that aren't really there? Uh, is it made up? Are these people trying to scam the public? And one by one, they cross those things off the list. I mean, I, I'm interested in it because, number one, I mean, it really is important. If we were to have confirmation of some other intelligence living and interacting with us over a long period of time, that's the biggest story in history. It changes everything. And it seemed to me when I started a long time ago, there really wasn't uh, uh, a whole lot of journalistic interest in it. Journalists would write stories. They'd make fun of it. They'd find some money in a funny hat, and that would be the focus of their story. They'd tell the same old jokes, uh, E.T. phone home, it was Elvis taken away on a flying saucer. And, and I thought it deserved a fair shake. And I also thought that give me six months and I'll figure this thing out. Well, here it is 30 years later, and, and I'm no closer to it. Uh, I, I think it is a legitimate uh, um, topic for inquiry. And as it turns out, our U.S. military, the Pentagon, thinks the same way. I, I, I want to remind our listeners, our number is 702-258-3552. That's 702-258-3552. We're talking about Skinwalker Ranch, this really weird place in northeast Utah. Uh, Native Americans, as George said, are early settlers. I'll explain some strange phenomenon that, that's been happening there. And now, uh, George, I want to get into that because the movie um, Hunt for the Skinwalker it really delves into this. What is the federal government doing uh, up at this ranch or had they been doing? And, and how is this connected to um, Harry Reid? The, form, the uh, retired U.S. senator from Nevada. Well, Joe, you and I have talked about UFOs and secret Pentagon interest in UFOs for a long time. But until uh, November, excuse me, December of 2017, it was a lot of speculation. We had to figure the U.S. government, did they really stop paying attention to UFOs in 1969 when Project Blue Book was canceled? I didn't believe it. You didn't believe it. The American public didn't believe it. Well, in Last December, the New York Times breaks out this story that says, in fact, there had been a secret study, an ongoing study of military encounters with UFOs. Uh, the program is called ATIP, 
the former head of ATIP, a guy named Lou Elizondo, came forward and said, yes, it's real. Yes, these encounters are real. Here's some very dramatic uh, videos that were captured by U.S. Navy warplanes, the most advanced warplanes we have. These things were flying circles around our best warplanes, and they admitted that a study had been going on. What they did not admit is that a second study was also underway, and that study uh, was very quiet. It was much bigger. It was a program that was initiated by Harry Reid. Robert Bigelow's organization, BASS, was the contractor. Uh, They got $22 million to study UFOs at first, but it turned out it was a much broader range of topics, and a lot of that was at Skinwalker Ranch. And I know it sounds crazy, and people could argue it's a waste of money, but Uh, Our Pentagon, in particular, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, got an interest in this. They read our Skinwalker book, and they went to the ranch, and a couple of them had experiences. So they go back to Washington. They go to Harry Reid and say, we need to look into this stuff. Harry Reid talks to a couple of his colleagues, uh, fellow senators. They get some money set aside and launch this program. I'll tell you this as a personal aside. In 1989, when I started doing these stories about Area 51 uh, and Bob Lazar, no one had done any serious reporting on that before. We did those stories. It went all over the world. It put Area 51 on the map. It's why we have, until yesterday, the Las Vegas 51's baseball team and an extraterrestrial highway and and things of that sort. Harry Reid is the first person I told about Bob Lazar outside of our newsroom. And I remember it. We were in his limo. He was on his way back to Washington. And I told him the story. He didn't kick me out of the car. And ever since that time, he and I have maintained sort of a secret dialogue, a back-channel dialogue about UFOs. He's helped me obtain information. And I've helped him sort of learn about the subject. He's always had an interest in it. He got he got, went to some of the meetings of NIDS. That was Bigelow's uh, scientific advisory board uh, that had been created to try to study UFOs and related topics. And uh, so it didn't take a whole lot of prodding for Harry Reid to want to go ahead and try to get to the bottom of it. And you've actually been to Skinwalker Ranch. Multiple times. Multiple times. You wrote this book. You went there with physicists, people who operated this high-tech detection equipment. Uh, This was when uh, billionaire Robert Bigelow owned the place. I I don't know if you've been there since he sold it. But you personally didn't see anything. I've never seen anything. I'm like kryptonite to whatever it is that's there. Um, But I've interviewed, you know, dozens of people who have, uh, starting with the scientists who work for Bob Bigelow. They went in with a skeptical sort of an attitude. We're going to figure this out. We'll be able to explain it. They didn't have an agenda to to sort of prove that aliens are real, that ETs are here. In fact, whatever is there, it doesn't behave anything like what we think ETs behave like. There are flying saucers. There are uh, strange craft. There are alien-type beings that are there. But uh, the range, the panoply of activity at that goes way beyond uh, what we think ETs act like. So can, can you describe – give give people a, a visual image of what this place looks like. Is it like the desert uh, ranches we have here in Nevada? Is it just this place – I mean, where when, you, when you're there, is there a tunnel that things come out of? What's there? Uh, it's a 480-acre paradise. It's a beautiful property. It, it's surrounded basically by uh, Native American, the Ute 
an Ore reservation, which is huge, sprawling. And in the middle of it is this island of private property, 480 acres. On one side is this giant sandstone ridge, which came to be known as Skinwalker Ridge. On the other side is a river. It's well watered. It's got lots of pasture, uh, lots of trees and brush and things of that sort. It's perfect. And the rancher, the family that's at the uh, core of the Hunt the Skinwalker book and the movie, they see this property. It's a dream come true. And they move in uh, on their first day, to, and their intention, intention is to raise high-end, hybrid, Semental cattle, very expensive animals, but you know, it was perfect for them. But from day one, when they moved in, weird stuff started happening. Not your typical UFO sightings. In fact, uh, I don't know what category you'd put this stuff into, but they had an encounter with a wolf. A wolf walks up into the it, it's gigantic. It walks up toward the family sheepishly, sort of its head down. It was very uh, non threatening. It attacks one of their calves that was inside of a corral. The rancher springs into action. He grabs an axe handle, beats this thing on the back. It doesn't make a sound, Does, doesn't do anything, no reaction at all. His kid runs to the truck, gets a 357 Magnum uh, handgun, and he comes back, and the rancher shoots it. I mean, he wants to save his calf. He shoots it three times. This thing doesn't bleed. It doesn't make a sound. Then they bring out a hunting rifle, 30-odd six, shoots it again, at that point, the fourth shot, the wolf drops the calf and just starts looking at the rancher and the family. They're wondering, what the heck is going on? He shoots it again two more times. The last shot hits it right square in the chest, and a chunk of flesh and fur flies off and lands on the ground. And that's when the, the wolf just casually walks away and heads back toward the brush line where it came from. Rancher and his, and his son grab another hunting rifle and go after it. Big, wounded, dangerous animal. And they, got, they follow it through the brush. Its tracks are leaving—it's so heavy, it's leaving two-inch thick— tracks in the mud. They get out to this clearing. It's 100 yards across. The tracks lead right out into the middle, and they stop. It's like this thing just vanished into thin air, which ends up happening to quite a few of their cattle as well, walking into the snow, and they're gone. So the rancher and his son are thinking, what are we going to tell the family? They go back to the family where they're gathered. They pick up this chunk of flesh and fur that had fallen off the, the animal with the last shot. It smells like rotten meat. It had been out in the like has been out in the sun for two or three days, or and they are completely flummoxed. They decide to put this thing behind them, but that was just day one, and things got weirder from there. And and in categories of, it's even hard to figure out what you call it. Skinwalker Ranch is in eastern Utah, about seven hours northeast of Las Vegas. It's gated. You're not invited to go there, but some people over the years have been invited to see if they can find out what the truth is behind the strange phenomena that's been reported there. Las Vegas billionaire Robert Bigelow, known for his interest in space exploration and UFOs, once owned it. He's let George Knapp, a reporter here in Las Vegas, and others research it. And now we're finding out the government has done its own research about the ranch. And a movie about the ranch, what it is, why the government is interested and, and what's this all mean is called Hunt for the Skinwalker. It opens in about a week. Jeremy Corbell is the movie's director. He joins us via Skype. Jeremy Corbell, welcome to State of Nevada. Hey, Joe. Hey, George. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, Jeremy, um, I, before we get into this, I want to remind our listeners, uh, whether you think, you know, this is, is bunk, whether you, uh, your curiosity and, and viewpoints are an important part of this discussion, our number is 702-258-3552, 702-258-3552. You can also leave us a message on Twitter at KNPR News or email us at son at knpr.org. 
So, Jeremy Corbell, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you made this movie about what sounds like, as George Knapp put it, the sort of paranormal Disneyland. Yeah, well, look, it was a huge opportunity. I've, I've had the, you know, kind of privilege of knowing George for quite some time. I've been bugging him about this story since he told me about it. It's one of the most fascinating stories, obviously, for film that anybody could ever look at. But the opportunity w- was never there. I mean, look, George wanted to make a documentary about this and on this topic. And he filmed for that documentary for <laughs> like two decades. And this window of opportunity opened with the transition of ownership of the ranch and George kind of gave me a thumbs up and it was a great opportunity to show his story of investigating the ranch itself and the people that were involved and also get into modern day current witnesses from the surrounding area for those listeners out there that you know think it's bunk or don't think it's true well that's that's their problem the, these events happened they're well documented it was documented by scientific teams both private and government so that's just something we're going to have to wrap our head around and George, um, how did you become part of this movie? What is your part in this movie? Well, uh, I have a friendship of long standing with Bob Bigelow, who, as I said, has spent more money than any individual in the history of the world supporting research into UFOs, cattle mutilations, things of that sort. He, when he bought the property in 1996, he sort of dropped a cone of silence over it. He installed his team there, uh, a scientist and a whole bunch of equipment and sensor equipment and cameras, but they weren't saying anything about it. They had a number of experiences for a period of about seven years, but there was no release at all. They didn't want to encourage people to start sort of making it into a paranormal mecca. Uh, as Area 51 has become, because that creates problems. And there is some danger. There was some dangerous stuff that happened there. So they kept quiet about it. And as I was told what was going on, it bugged me. I wanted to report on it. Seven years, I kept it quiet. And then the activity itself sort of took a nosedive. Mr. Bigelow gave me the green light to write about it. I did some stories in the Las Vegas Mercury, which became City Life. Those things went all over the world. And then, uh, but Bigelow didn't want me to do the documentary that I'd been shooting uh, on my own for a couple of years because he was worried that the place would be overrun by UFO hounds, you know, UFO seekers. And he was right. Uh, I did talk him into, in 2005, allowing us to move forward with a book. I wrote it with Dr. Colm Kelleher, who was the chief investigator on the ground there, just as so long as we didn't put any pictures or uh, into the uh, of the ranch itself. We didn't identify the names of the ranching family, just to not make it easier for people to... to uh, trespass or violate the property. So um, I I got hooked on it. I mean, he started telling me these stories. Then I started going there. I started uh, visiting the ranch in 2000. I brought along uh, photographers, uh, Matt Adams. We would interview witnesses, talk to the neighbors, the tribal members, uh, collect whatever information we could, uh, as well as uh, reports filed by the scientists who were involved in the study. And it was the, the range of stuff is beyond my comprehension. Now joining us from St. George, Utah, is um, Anonymous. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling because my sister used to live up in the duchesne Mountain area, and um, she and I experienced some of these things firsthand um, back about 20, 25 years ago, and to the point where we wouldn't even go outside at night because of the things that were happening to our animals, and it was dangerous. It was physically dangerous. And I've witnessed some of these experiences 
<clears throat> excuse me, these experiences that you're talking about. And I'm uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a mathematician. I'm very skeptical about these things, but I have experienced things that cannot be explained. And so I don't look at them necessarily as paranormal activity, but it's definitely an unexplained circumstance with these, I don't even know what to to call them, but they're very real. They're not holograms. They're not um, hallucinations. They're very, very real. I've experienced the crop circles. I've experienced some of the animal mutilations. And nothing has ever made my skin, the hair stand on end as you could just feel it when these things would come out at night. So, well, could you, yeah, I can attest to that firsthand. Uh, anonymous, uh, could you, what did you see? Um, I've Well, I've seen a couple of different things. There was an individual that appeared that was like a white albino um, and just out of nowhere, like walking um, in the middle of the night. I went out to check on some of the horses and cause they were all spooked. And this, this, I don't know what to call it, this thing looked like a white albino um, dressed in white furs, and it just stood there just staring at us. And it was in between where the house was and where the horse corrals were. And my sister and I had gone out to check on the horses, and we just froze. And it... I don't know how to explain it, but it was almost like we couldn't move. It, it was just like it, we just physically couldn't move. And so we started to, you know, freak out a bit. The horses were going crazy at this point, and then it just vanished. Oh. And the next morning, um, one of the horses was gone. And there was no sign of, like, the fence getting knocked down or anybody getting into the fence. You know, everything was still locked up. The horse was just gone. We never did find it. And the wolf that you talked about, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen the footprints of that wolf, and we've lost um, calves that have been, like, half-eaten. And we get, you know, we get coyotes and whatnot, and that's that's a normal thing. But the footprints that we'd see were huge, huge. And it wasn't a coyote print. It was definitely canine, but they're huge in the snow. And then they would just disappear, like you would go from like where the um the corrals were out to the pasture and then they would just stop and vanish and our, and there's blood all over the place and the calf's gone those are good those are so, so you, uh, you say you're a scientist as well and you've been skeptical about this most of the stuff your whole very, life until very much so yeah because i'm thinking okay and i'm not a, a ufo believer i don't think of I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in any of that stuff. To me, that's all just uh, an excuse for some sort of scientific endeavor that we haven't experienced yet. We haven't got the language or the technology to understand it. But there is something going on up there, and I don't know what it is. Jeremy Corbell, uh, as director of this new movie, uh, were you... You know, I got to ask you this question, and I'm afraid the answer might be no, but were you able to capture anything on film? I love hearing as you talk about Skinwalker Ranch, there's an innate frustration in your voice. And this is, it is a frustrating topic. 
no, I, I wasn't able to capture anything on camera, but neither was the NIDS team that, that studied the ranch 24 hours a day for seven years. They had about 100 documented events with traces, with little things, with little bits of evidence, strange things like magnetized corrals, missing animals. There, of course, there are mutilated animals, which you can physically study. So there was physical evidence. As far as me capturing it on film, well, I'm not that lucky, first of all. But I would like to say that the caller that just called, I mean, this is a typical story. You have a sane, rational, science-minded individual who is in conflict with the consensus reality we're supposed to believe because of personal experience of, of the unknown and the extraordinary. And this is a story that is repeated for hundreds of years over and over and over again. So I want people to take it seriously when they hear comments like that. I would love for the caller to reach out to me through my website. I'd love to hear the rest of her story. But that is something that is typical in the Uinta Basin and these hot spots in general of high activity of high strangeness. Um, we're taking your calls. The number is 702-258-3552. That's 702-258-3552. Uh, we actually we have another call from Trona, California, another uh, person who wants to be identified as anonymous, who also has a story about that wolf. Anonymous, welcome. Hello. All right, go ahead. Yes. About 35 years ago, a very, very close friend of mine told me the story of that wolf. And it was almost exactly like the one I just heard. This young man fired at this wolf with his trusted 22 caliber rifle. And he said he saw the dust fly off of it more than once. And it turned to him and laughed at him or smiled. And, and he told me that when that happened, the hair went up on his arms and stuff. And I tried to tell him, there's no wolves in California. And this man, or young man, being from the desert, knew the difference between a wolf and a coyote. And he told me, no, it was a wolf. And you say he saw this in California? Yes, yes, just outside of Trona, which is which borders, you know, the Nevada-California border. Hold on a second, Anonymous. Uh, George, you wanted to comment on that. George Knapp. Well, uh, it's we haven't got into the Defense Intelligence Agency in any detail. The DIA took an interest in the ranch, and uh, they read the book, and they sent some people there, and then they went back and talked to Harry Reid, and they got this study underway that was kept secret, and they continued for a couple of years. Millions of dollars were spent. Some of the people who were sent to the ranch uh, to investigate. Boots on the ground people. They were type, uh, secret agent commando types. They had uh, extensive combat experience. They're not afraid of anything. They go there. They're strapped. They're ready to. They're ready for whatever they encounter. And they encounter something. It's a big black circle that appears right in front of them, and they are frozen. And this thing tells them in their heads, all three, you're not welcome here. Get out. All three of those people left the ranch and it followed them. It's like we call it a hitchhiker. It attaches itself to, to people. And so after they go back home and they live on the East Coast, their families start seeing exactly what this guy is describing, a wolf standing on two feet, looking in their window, uh, if not with a smile on his face, it, it looked like it was smirking. And it makes no sense at all. You know, it's hard to get your head around it. It sounds preposterous. I think a lot of the things that happened on the ranch were preposterous on purpose. 
Um, there was one incident that was reported by the NIDS guys that we left. We were going to leave it out of the book, thought this is so ridiculous, it's going to hurt our credibility, which is already going to be stretched given the nature of what we're describing uh, that had happened out there. But these two police officers working for the Ute tribe are driving at night right up to the edge, the road, the dirt road that leads into the ranch property. They see in the in the night there's two guys standing with their backs to the to the to the um, road, they're wearing wearing trench coats, and it looks like they're smoking cigarettes. And they fl- sh- shine a flashlight, wondering, what are these guys doing out here in trench coats in the middle of the night? The, these humanoid figures turn around, and they have dog faces. They're dogs. The two cops look at each other, what the hell is this? <laughs> they look back, and these things are gone. They get out of their car to investigate. The burning cigarettes are still on the ground, uh, but the trench coat wearing dog men were gone. Now, we thought that that's too preposterous to put in a book. But since we published that story, reports of these dogmen figures have been coming in from all over the place. There is physical evidence that this stuff happened. Whatever is on the ranch, it's physical at times and non-physical at other times. I mean, they had a herd of 80 cattle. 14 of them were lost or killed. There was a calf that was butchered in broad daylight. The rancher and his family are out on the on the property. It's a Sunday morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. They tagged the ear of this newborn calf. And in a 25-minute period, something came in and carved this thing up, stripped every bit of flesh off of its bones. There was nothing left but bones and hide. They didn't hear anything. They couldn't see any tracks. How did it happen? It was very spooky. Uh, there were a lot of the incidents like that, the poltergeist-type activity, trickster-type activity. It was messing with their minds. It would do things. Uh, the, the wife goes shopping, gets a two weeks' worth of groceries, brings it home, takes it out of the bags and puts it away in the cupboard, leaves the house, uh, leaves the room for a second, comes back. All the food is back in the bags. Uh, she'd take a shower in the morning. She'd lock the door in the bathroom. She has a, a towel and a hairbrush, and the door would still be locked when she gets out, but the towel and the hairbrush are gone. She finds the hairbrush in the freezer uh, a couple of hours later. The rancher is out digging uh, holes for fencing using a post hole digger. He stops for a second, wipes his brow, takes a drink of water, Turns around, the post hole digger, a heavy piece of equipment, is gone. They find it a couple of weeks later, 75 feet up in a cottonwood tree. Whatever it was that was there was messing with their minds. It it, it seemed to know what they were thinking and what they were going to okay. do. Well, George, you know, I, I really want to, I like to, I've been a reporter for a long time. <laughs> so have you. Yeah. I want to get right to the point. Well, what is it? I Don't. mean, there must be theories. Uh, Jeremy, George, what are theories? Uh, in your book, there there was talk in some of your reports before of maybe there's something underground there. Maybe there's some government facility or something. I mean, it, it, is is there any evidence of that? Or I don't know. Well, the ranchers, the, the ranch family, when they bought the property, that was a very strange condition in the deed. It said no digging. If you're going to do any digging on the property, you have to let the pri- prior owners know about it. They thought, what what's these are old people? They must be delirious or something. Sure, we'll sign and go along with it. Then they started hearing hearing things underground. It sounded like metal on metal, almost like an underground railroad or a a steel mill or something. They'd hear it coming out of Skinwalker Ridge. At night, sometimes the whole pasture would light up uh, with a, a light source of unknown origin. Sometimes it looks like it was coming out of the ground. And they learned over time, as the NID scientists learned, that when you disturb the ground there, it stimulates activity. You dig, you get an earth mover and dig stuff around, 
suddenly you've got a spike in activity. Animals get killed. Uh, UFOs appear. So let's go out there with uh, 200 people, start digging like crazy, uh, have cameras everywhere. Well, my first visit was uh, something like that. We went out. We purposely, I mean, the arrival of strangers is something that stimulates activity. So we went out. We purposely made ourselves known. We built a fire. We did a bunch of interviews, made a bunch of noise, and we got an earth mover and moved a bunch of dirt around, figuring, let's see what comes comes out. And then they took me and put me on a little plastic chair in the middle homestead where a lot of bad things had happened. <laughs> a bunch of animals had been killed. A predator-type creature had appeared there, and they left me there at night. And, and they went a couple hundred yards away with telephoto lenses, and the idea was George is a weird bait. guy. Maybe, yeah, bait, exactly. Let's see what comes and gets him. And I sat there thinking, all right, I'm a brave guy, right? I'm trying to convince myself I'm not afraid of this. I don't mind seeing a UFO. I'd like to see one of these orbs of light or something like that. But I don't really want to see the predator creature. And whatever is carving up cattle, I don't really want to have a confrontation with that either. I sat there about 45 minutes, and the only thing that came to get me was mosquitoes. Uh, but... Uh, you know, but a lot of people have had experiences, direct experiences, and it has scared the hell out of them. Talking about Skinwalker Ranch, it's a place seven hours northeast of Las Vegas in Utah. It is a ranch with reported very strange phenomenon for, I don't know, hundreds of years. Native Americans have reported it. Uh, people who have lived there and then quickly sold the property have reported it. George Knapp has written a book about it with some other people uh, in uh, almost 20 years ago now, or, or, or 10 years 2005. ago. 2005. 2005. He's also part of a new movie called Hunt for the Skinwalker, which is directed by Jeremy Corbell, who is with us as well. Uh, Jeremy Corbell, who owns the ranch now? Well, there's uh, a new owner who's asking to remain comp his identity confidential or anonymous. That's actually the first thing that I ask him. He does appear in my film. I just kind of shield his identity. I think he's doing that clearly because he has a large business empire and he doesn't want kind of cross-contamination <laughs> between the business world and his study at the ranch, which oh. I think is, is very smart. Is you know? he somebody people would, would know, recognize? In the business world, yes. Okay. And has he seen things? Yeah, actually, that's something that he reported uh, to me and George that really caught his attention. He had a full on within his one of his first major visits to the property, saw what he would call a flying disc, a flying saucer, the classic UFO. And if that doesn't weaponize your imagination, I don't know what does. Yeah, he had personal experience. And that was the first one that he had. And he is uh, now studying. This is now a third study that we know of, of the property itself. And I think he has a sense of openness and he wants people to know about it. So he's collecting data and I hope that we learn more. So, so Jeremy, if I go to Skinwalker Ranch now, and now you can sort of see a little a map online of, to where it is generally, can I get in and walk around or, or am I going to get shot like uh, I would at Area 51? <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't want to be on the wrong end of a, of a shotgun out there. It is private land. Not only is it private land, but it's highly guarded. There's security. There's no way you're getting on the ranch. And additionally, the surrounding area is sovereign nation, Native American land. So no, it is not advised to even try that. And, you know, look, here's the point. You're, you're not good by dipping your toe over the property line. You're not going to experience necessarily anything out, out of this world. It took seven years to get 100 documented incidents from the scientists that were studying 24-7 on the ranch. So, it, you know, being a, a weekender, it's, it's really not going to get you there. Uh, additionally, I would I would like to just state that the, the ranch itself is not it's there. The whole area. 
the whole area experiences in the Uinta Basin this phenomena, these phenomena. It, it's it's everywhere. It, it's the whole area is saturated with this. It is a hotspot. The ranch was a living laboratory, is a living laboratory. It's a place of observation. It, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the center of all activity. However, it might be, but the, the activity spills out throughout the entire Uinta Basin. So if I park miles away and hike there, jump a fence, do they have detection equipment there, or can I disguise myself in some way as an animal and, and get in somehow? Oh man, you, this is how, this is this is the problem. Do not do that. You're gonna <laughs> cause problems, and you're not gonna get far. First of all, no, it's it's highly guarded. I call it the Area 51 of the paranormal. No, it is highly guarded. And look, there's people that that caretake the land, and they actually live there. And I think that would scare them more than anything. And you, you don't want to do that to the good people that live there. So no, look, uh, despite all the interest and curiosity, what I'd recommend: watch my movie on iTunes. <laughs> Uh, we're taking your calls. We're talking about Skinwalker Ranch. The number here is 702-258-3552, 702-258-3552. Randy joins us from Las Vegas, and he's he's skeptical. Randy, welcome. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, definitely a skeptic. And, and uh, just so you know, George, I have mad respect for you. Like, I don't, I don't mean this disrespectful at all, but... You know, when when you talk about these stories and stuff, and then you say you went out there, you disturbed all the ground, blah blah blah. Have you ever seen anything like that yourself? Everybody on the planet has a cell phone these days. Why why are we seeing real videos uh, about all this stuff? I mean, it's always secondhand. It's always uh, I, I talk to somebody, and I I believe you that they believe what they saw, but. You know why? Why isn't everybody's got a cell phone? Why don't Why don't we have ten videos of, of the wolf or the or the whatever? Have you actually personally experienced anything like that? Great, I have, great I, question. Yeah, uh, go ahead, George. Yeah, and I, I take I take no offense at that. Of course, I I think skepticism is a good thing, and especially when you're doing dealing with something as weird as this. And that skepticism is what the NIDS scientists carried with them when they went there. They figured they could explain this stuff away. They'd figure out why people are seeing UFOs. Maybe it's a geomagnetic anomaly of some sort uh, or hallucinogenic plants, and they went at it trying to figure that out. What they got instead was more mysteries. They solved the stuff for themselves. And I know it is a preposterous uh, uh, proposal to suggest that this is an intelligent entity that somehow uh, avoids detection, but that is what it was. They had cameras that would be set up for a particular area where there had been a range of activity over a long period of time. And as soon as they set the cameras up there, it would move somewhere else. The 143 incidents that were investigated by NIDS, not one ever uh, happened the same way a second time. It's non-reproducible. So the idea is if you're going to use scientific standards to document this, you're out of luck. But these scientists, Ph.D.-level people who had um, worked for government think tanks, who'd worked for the Pentagon, who worked for the CIA and DIA, had these experiences themselves. It, it is frustrating to them to not be able to document it and get it on video. There are some videos. There are some, and there are images that are captured that we include, that Jeremy includes in his film, 
um, they're not, they're not the most dramatic stuff. I'd say the most dramatic uh, incident that is captured on video is the, the mutilation of the calf. You don't see it being cut up, but they it happened in broad daylight. There are no tracks, no vehicle tracks. There was no sound. They took the what was left of this calf, sent it to three different pathology labs, and the labs all reached the same conclusion that whatever had cut it up, they used a heavy instrument, a hacking instrument, and then a sharp scalpel-like instrument, and then took 75 pounds of meat off this unfortunate animal and then dumped what was left of it back on the, on the range. It was as if it had been taken somewhere else. And and sure, when you hear a story like a ball of light is hovering over the ground, it, it, it elongates into a tunnel, a creature crawls out of it. It can only be seen through infrared. And then it runs up the hill where these oh where these two researchers are watching in horror. <laughs> they don't have video of that. They couldn't see it. They couldn't. They could see it through infrared, but couldn't record it. It is frustrating for them. It is extremely frustrating. There's there's no way a scientist could write a, a paper and get it published in a in a journal uh, to to document the events that had happened there, which is why they didn't. But it happened to them. They're credible people. They looked at it as if it might be a hoax. So they investigated the ranch family. They investigated the witnesses. It's been going on there for hundreds of years. And uh, and it is frustrating, but um, I give some credibility uh, based on the credentials of the people who say they've seen these things. We're talking about Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, Jeremy Corbell, director of Hunt for the Skinwalker, How'd you get funding for this? Did the funding come from Robert Bigelow? I mean, I'm wondering if when you went to people to fund the film, if they laughed in your face or how did you get money to do this film? Well, I'm a completely independent filmmaker. And so I do these films on my own with my own finances and cross my fingers that people are going to like them. Gotcha. So there was a lot of background to this film. And George had a lot of footage, you know, from over the, the last 20 years. So in collaboration with George, I was able to put together what I think is a really fine movie. And look, the interesting part about this is uh, nobody has ever been able to get footage out from the ranch this has never happened you know this is the first time in history george's footage and then a, a recent trip that we took to the ranch with our investigative team that footage is going to be now out to the public for the average person to view and assess for themselves to look at the evidence so i'd say remain you know open-minded watch the film you'll see the footage from the ranch you'll see the historic footage from 20 years ago you'll see all of that and you'll be able to come to your own conclusions it, it is frustrating hearing these stories and trying to assess their validity and wrap them into your reality i mean it is just frustrating uh, but it's also fun i think it's important to keep open-minded and the film will provide you an opportunity to to do that uh, jeremy corbell do you think there is any connection between area 51 which is about about 90 miles northwest of Las Vegas, and Skinwalker Ranch. I am not aware of any direct correlation between the two or connection between the two. However, the government interest in in Skinwalker Ranch and in that area, you know, that started in motion because of George's book on on the whole story. I think that is very telling. I think when a government agency, an intelligence agency for the Pentagon, comes in and tries to determine if the occurrence is there pose any national security issues or threats, I think that that is highly important. I think we should look at that. Additionally, the interest by our government, look, if there are craft coming out of a glowing orange porthole, flying into our airspace, again, with impunity, we have no control over this, 
you know, the idea by our government is, well, is that something that we can do? Can we use that tactic? Can we figure out how this works? What are the optical um, ideas going on here? Is this a porthole to another dimension? Is this, you know, transferring matter from one place to another? If creatures can crawl out of holes, you know, this is warfare. This is something we need to look at. So all of that, I think, is interesting, that connection between our military intelligence and the ranch you know, and, and then again, Area 51, very similarly, you know, it's a, it's one of the most secret places on Earth. So that that's the only connection. But wow, it's an interesting story, isn't it? Yeah. And we, by the way, we spoke earlier with Anonymous from Trona, California. He's back with us. He, he wanted to finish the story. Uh, uh, welcome back to the program. Yes, it, it, it's not much to say, but after this incident that my friend had. And this is where he, he saw was, this this giant wolf. Large wolf, yes, fired at it, saw dust fly off of its body, and it turned and snickered at him or something. He he was so troubled by it that he he took his life. I'm sorry to hear that. And that's all I had to say. It's it's sad. It's tragic. But but he was so so disturbed by it when he told me the story, and I kept trying to tell him it wasn't a wolf, you know. But I I wasn't there. Thank you for your time. Thanks for calling. You know, we hear those stories. I'm not going to say a lot, but it's it's not the first time I've heard that. Is that I mentioned the the hitchhiker phenomenon? This thing attaches itself to you like a virus, and then you take it home. Maybe you're not the one who's affected by it. Maybe it's your family. But all of the DIA personnel who went to the property during the two or three year period where the secret study was underway, uh, 2008 to 2011, all of them took it home. It followed them for a long time. It caused all kinds of problems with them. The Gorman family, the family that we profile, that's not their real name, but they, uh, their, their story is told in the book. It, they left. They, they stuck around for a while to try to figure out what it was after Bigelow had, had bought the property. Then they moved to another state. It followed them some more. It caused no humans were physically harmed on the ranch itself. But their psychological harm, it was messed up. By the time Bigelow and his organization got to the property in 1996, this family, who'd been stable, the, the guy, the rancher is college educated, a world-class hunter. His wife worked in a bank, was, a, was an executive in a bank. The two kids were both straight-A students. They were totally messed up. Their life was upside down. They'd been terrorized for 20 months. They were all sleeping at night on the floor in the same room just for just for protection, a sense of protection, because they've been so messed up by it. So maybe I don't want to go there. Um, so uh, is ranching still going on there? Actually, before I get to that, Robert Bigelow owned this. He's fascinated by this type of phenomenon. He's into space exploration. Why did he sell it? A couple of reasons. One is because he's uh, he's putting all of his chips in on uh, his space program. I mean, he's got, I, I would guess, somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million of his own money invested in it. And it is a time-intensive business. And being connected to this sort of activity does him no favors in NASA circles. It doesn't enhance his credibility. People all in, in, the, in that line of work, they all know what he did. But he really needed to focus his activity on making a success out of his space program. And right now he's got three craft up there, two that he launched himself and one that is attached uh, to up the— Up there, I you mean in space. In space. One is attached to the ISS right now, and he's hoping that that becomes a viable business model. So it, he wanted to get it off his plate so he could focus on it. Secondly, I think he was concerned that something might follow him home and affect his family. Um 
you know, thirdly, I think he was waiting to find somebody who would be willing to carry on the research. He didn't just want to sell this so somebody could do ranching and not tell them what had been what the history of the property was. So he waited until he found the right guy, and he and he did find the right guy, and the study now continues. In fact, there has been a spike, an increase in activity since the new owner took place. I was there on the ranch the last day that Bigelow owned it, and the transition was underway. And um, you know, it was a it was a a poignant sort of uh, uh, moment that 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 era had come to an end. But a new era has begun, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. The fact that the DIA spent that much money and time trying to get to the bottom of it is also a testament that they they considered it to be real. Skepticism aside, uh, Jeremy, in our last uh, forty five seconds or so, I, I want to put this to you. You know, conspiracy theorists will often speculate, and they'll ask questions, and there never ever seems to be. A, a definitive answer. It seems like you go down this rabbit hole and it's, it's, you got to go to the next person and the next person and the next person, but there's never an answer. Why is this any different? You know, look, uh, George likes to say, and I think it's a very important testament to, to what it is to be a journalist or a reporter or an investigative filmmaker. You know, it's our job to investigate the unexplained, not explain the uninvestigated. You know, this is a, a worthy pursuit towards knowledge. And I think that this story in particular, we have a lot to learn from. It's a compelling, fascinating, very unusual story. And again, if you don't believe it, that's really your problem. It's it's important to look at it, or I wouldn't have spent my time on it. And certainly George wouldn't have spent decades on it. Jeremy Corbell is the director of the new film, documentary film, Hunt for the Skinwalker. George Knapp is part of the film. He's with KLAS-TV, Channel 8 here in Las Vegas. Keep the conversation going on our website, knpr.org. This is State of Nevada.